Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This series is brought to you by AIA Australia, committed to working with advisors to protect the financial health and welfare of more than 3 million Australians. In 2020, AIA paid over 2.2 billion in claims. That's a little over $42 million each week and clients needed it most. AIA Australia would like to help you arm yourself for your next client appointment with this five-part series into Australia's income protection industry from the 90s to now. Strengthen your knowledge and conversations with valuable insights from a panel of speakers from various backgrounds, exploring how the new generation of IP products can help your clients. Thank you for joining us again. This is uh, part two in our five-part series on IDII, Individual Disability Income Insurance, and all the changes that have taken place. Now, sustainability is obviously a huge piece of this puzzle, and in this episode, we really go into a bit, a bit of depth around why what's so important about sustainability, sustainability in the future, and why it's so important for you as an advisor having conversations with your clients that this becomes a topic of conversation. Thank you for joining us again, Catherine. It's good to be back. We're talking about sustainability, that old chestnut. Let's uh, let's have a chat about this particular topic. Uh, how do you see? Let's start with where we are now. Are we are we sta- Have we stabilized? Are we? Uh, are, you know, other oh, products, so- other other new products that are coming out sustainable. And what? Tell us about the old ones. Oh gosh, you'd want to hope so. <laughs> so they've been given that mandate to ensure that they are uh, are so sustainable. Um, I think there's been so many levers pulled. I don't think that's go- I think it's a fairly safe bet. I'll say that cautiously. Um, that the new products will be sustainable. But income protection is only part of the puzzle. Um, I really do believe that the next wave we have to deal with will be uh, trauma insurance. I really do think it's at the peak of generous definitions. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that being drawn back or brought in uh, greater levels of tiering rather than just having 100% or 10 to 20%. Um, I think we'll start to see more um, midway options as far as, far as benefit payments go. Are we going to be in the same boat with trauma then if that's the case is there's this whole first I, I i really wouldn't be surprised i think that's it's um income protection was the biggest one and it's so many people have it that it was a there was a large area but i've also i've seen quite a few trauma insurance claims where it's been paid and you think gosh that really wasn't needed as far as the indemnity principle goes it just like I said, it took something minor to provide a decent payout, which is not what it was intended for. Yeah, and, and if we go back to the, my, my comments from the, from the first episode where it's actually the, the, the other people in the pool's money who's paying for that claim, not the insurance company. Uh, correct. I mean, if it's priced appropriately, that's not a problem. But, you know, if it's not, there's an issue. Yeah, so if, you're, if your client's getting a, a payout, then essentially mm-hmm. the other advisors, clients, mm-hmm. are forking the bill for that. Oh, correct. And, you know, I um, I put on a trauma reinstatement option wherever possible. I've got one client who's on their third trauma full payouts. 
Um, I'm a big believer of once you've claimed once, your chances of claiming go way, way up, and they, they do tend to. Yep. Uh, um, so do you think there'll be a first mover disadvantage in the space and so therefore the, uh, the insurers won't do anything? Mm, I, don't, I don't think there would be so much um, in the sense that what we're starting to see is that insurers are coming out with alterations, but rather than the income protection pace where people have been forced to, the people are putting these offerings running alongside. So I think there could be a more of a gentle uh, either upping the pricing on the existing product um, and giving people uh, the opportunity to slide into one of these newer, more sustainable options rather than the hard stop that we have with IP. Yes, exactly. So tell, tell us about the um, the, uh, the idea of the old products then now. Um, they're closed, obviously. They're closed books. I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like when books close, you end up with getting, they can become more and more expensive. What's your experience here? Oh, absolutely. They, they, you know, we've all seen the, you know, the really expensive, you know, A&P come resolution products where they just get significant prices year on year, regardless of what the premium structure was, you know, those lifetime um, income protection benefit policies, they um, get to a point where your annual premium um, pretty much takes up 50% of any benefit in a given month. So it's, um, it's insane. So it's at the point where people can't keep them. I mean, it will probably be some time before we see that with income protection and APRA has indicated that they would love to see everybody exit the current products that are written prior to this and into the more sustainable versions. So the faster that rate happens, the smaller pool that you'll have left. So it's like anything, if you were to take all the healthy lives out of a pool because they don't need the more generous um, products, um, the people that are most likely to stay are those who know that their chances of claiming are going to be higher so they don't want to give up those generous benefits. Um, so you get a dirty pool, so to speak. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's just the compound interest curve, right? It just compounds on top of each other. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we will see continued price increases on the old IP products, whether it's agreed value or just anything written prior to one October this year. Um, and it's advisors are going to have to have that conversation with their clients. It's do we stay where we are or do we move into something that's more affordable? Um, I suspect most people will be having conversations that revolve around what can we do to keep you in this really good product before there's no other levers to pull, like extending waiting periods, going from comprehensive to basic or dropping off other features. Um, but until that happens, you know, it, time will require it to be played out. Yeah, it's, it is going to play out over time, I guess you could say. Um, mm. to, so from a sustainability point of view, what's a conversation you can have with your client about sustainability then that leads into this conversation about where they have their, their income protection? <sighs> Look, uh, I take the view, I, I focus on what I would do personally and I have cut the old covers and my, I know that it is for my circumstances, when I look at the layer of that, that I would want to um, to keep that in place. And it really is going to come down to those client circumstances. I mean, if you're in business and you're looking at ongoing income offset clauses or, you know, greater restrictions around there, some cases it makes sense not to have those, but depending on your structure, it could take a really long time to find something suitable. Um, so it really is going to come down. If they're happy paying the cover, they value the quality, of course you're going to keep on going with what you've got. But as soon as those, um, uns- it starts to become unsustainable for the client, it's got to have that conversation and it's going to depend on what the insurer has on offer for transition pathways. If you've got someone really unhealthy, if the insurer offers an ease transition to a new product and they want to go for it, sure. 
Um, if they've had a bunch of health events, that's going to be a much tougher conversation um, because you can only look at that transition pathway within that insurer. You can't look at the broader market, um, not without seriously giving up some terms and conditions and potential exclusions and loadings. Um, or you stay where you are and, and you cop it for a while. So it's going to take some detailed analysis and looking at the pros and cons in each individual client's circumstances. Yeah, it feels like that, um, as you said, that transition, easy, easy transition for a lot of clients where they would have, you know, medical issues and not be able to get, you know, mm. cover anyway would be uh, would be a good option. Mm. Uh, very good. Now, um, the ID and II, the first I stands for uh, individual. Uh, how sustainable is group? <laughs> Gosh, uh, well, the one thing that benefits group is that there is no guaranteed renewability. So what we've had with income protection insurance on the retail side is it's guaranteed renewable. So the only lever that they have to pull is price. Um, the group space is there's no guaranteed renewability with it. So the terms and conditions can be altered at any time. And we've seen not only wild price swings with the, um, the industry space, We've also seen significant changes to the definitions of disablement, whether it's TPD or income protection. So I, what I have seen over the last couple of years is the group insurance offerings are often more expensive these days, at least they are for the demographics that I work with. So I felt I feel like they've dealt with the sustainability issue largely already and they do have more flexibility to continue to do so because they can change those terms um, whenever those contracts go up for tender. So they've got a little bit of flexibility there, but there are some drawbacks that they'll never be able to compete with, and that's the fact that things like income protection will always be wholly owned by a super. Fantastic. Uh, Catherine, thank you for coming on this episode. We'll catch you in the next one. Thank you. Welcome back, Jeff. Thanks, Fraser. Good to be back. And fantastic to have you. In this episode, we're talking about sustainability. Uh, a really interesting part of this jigsaw puzzle is the concept of how are insurance companies going to be sustainable um, and how should we be uh, adding sustainability to the consideration when, when we're looking at uh, products uh, moving forward? Uh, tell us about your, uh, your views, your ideas around the concept of sustainability in, in products. Yeah, I think the, the changes that have been put upon us through APRA's intervention are, are really big changes and obviously they're designed to drive that sustainability through both product changes and making sure the insurers are having a good look at their pricing. So I guess the first part of it is we really hope that they've got that pricing bit right and it is priced sustainably because I think from our viewpoint uh, as advisors, the, the hard part in the recent times, there's lots of hard parts with insurance, but one of the hard parts has been annual conversation about those massive increases in prices. So if they just come in with the right price to start off with, we can handle that conversation once and the client knows what they're paying and the the value they're getting for it. So, you know, I think it's in everybody's interest to get the sustainability uh, right as soon as we can. Um, From a client's viewpoint, it's a difficult one from a client to have the conversation with for a new client, um, for an existing client who's gone through those premium increases uh, year after year, they can certainly get the concept of it hasn't been sustainably priced. Um, but for a new client who doesn't have income protection and is coming in to talk about it for the first time, uh, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go into a conversation about sustainability. I'd be more talking about how it fits in with their needs and why it's the best product for their circumstances and and relevant at the time. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, how we address the, the sustainability conversation with clients. 
Yeah, because obviously the price shock that, that that's taken place over the last what couple of years really has left clients feeling uh, in some way feeling a little bit uh, you know let down. But I would say you know the trust comes into this conversation when it comes to uh, these sorts of price shock. Yeah, absolutely. Um, particularly, I think with the you know level premium books and, and the price rises of, of of those, I think they're the ones that are really caused challenges because clients thought they had a had a commitment, whether that was, you know, it was missold or whether it was, you know, the communication wasn't quite where it could have been. But, you know, that was something that was positioned for, it was long-term sustainable for the client from a cash flow viewpoint. And that's where you could bring that into the conversation. Um, but then the step premiums, obviously getting out of control as well. So the, the challenge is obviously that the existing products are superior in the main to, to the new products. So it's about how do you manage that conversation and, um, you know, your ability to sustain those old products. And, and that I think is our kind of thinking at the moment is our starting point would be where possible we find a way to maintain those old agreed value contracts and, you know, work with the waiting periods and benefit periods and some insured and and then think about, you know, is there a role for the newer products to come in um, at some point in time? At the moment, I think there's not a massive discrepancy between the costs. So you've got an inferior product, which is priced the same as a really good product. Um, but over the next few years, we know that will change and that will be a hard conversation to have for our team and, and, and the clients that we're talking to. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So that uh, that concept of, um, you know, yes, you've had some bill shock. Yes, yes, you may have lost a little bit of trust, but we, you also need to align the fact that there's a there's a possibility of a lot of destabilization uh, still to come in that space and that at some point it might be uh, worth considering the new uh, types of products. Um, I just yeah. wanted to go back on some of the comments you made about level um, because this has been a really interesting piece for both um, for both clients and advisors to cope with. A lot of the time, you know, with there, there was always been a, you know, a known a, a possibility for a whole book to rise at once, et cetera, et cetera. But it wasn't necessarily um, considered, I think, from advisors' point of view to be it's, it's coming, it's coming. Just from that trust point of view, and, and obviously – Risk is a product that we need to have a high level of trust in. Do you think there's been any issues with trust from from the advisor's point of view as well as the client? As in our levels of trust with the insurance companies? Mm. Oh, massively. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's, it's a hard one because having having been around for a while, you know, you get to know lots of people and there's lots of fantastic people at an individual level who I really like and respect and value their input. Um, but at an institutional level, I do feel let down. And that, that's a hard thing to, to reconcile, um, you know, mostly around the, the pricing issues and the communication of those and, and how we continue to get that so wrong and um, how, you know, how that was positioned with us in the early days of, of selling these products and advising our clients into those. And then all of a sudden we're seeing something so different, but also because we've known that there are issues and, you know, what have we done to address them? And there's a feeling you know, we, we recently had a catch up with our licensee on, on some of the, you know, insurance conversations and, you know, there's certainly a feeling that all of this comes back onto the advisor. So we've got to have, we've got to sit in front of the client and go, yes, your premiums have gone up another 30, 40%. Um, you know, yes, there is an alternative, but it's not a very good alternative because the products are inferior. You know, so the, the insurance companies have kind of foisted that upon us. And I don't think in the main, I think they're trying to do some some stuff to help us. But in the main, they haven't done enough yet to help that conversation and make that easier because it is a really difficult, time-consuming, challenging conversation, but also the process to then make those changes is, is not as easy as it should be. So, Yeah, 
Couldn't agree more. These, uh, there's, there's certainly a lot of people involved in it, and, and let's face it, we, like, like you said, we know most of them, and they're they're all good people. It's just that the situation is difficult for all yeah. the parties, not just uh, not just advisors and clients. When when we when we look at that uh, conversation of that advice coming back on the advice provider or the advisor themselves, it, it's it's certainly a big piece of this conversation um, when it comes to comparing and recommending products moving moving forward. You know, we used to, it was quite simple. You look at products and price and you can compare those two together and you look at those two variables and you work out what's going to be a recommendation. Um, now with this concept of sustainability and long-term and bill shock and, and, and you know, stable premiums, is that, does that leave a third level now of the, of the research that you need to do um, when it comes to, you know, price, product and long-term sustainability? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Um, I think that's a really important piece for us. Yeah, it's not something that the client, again, necessarily is going to want to be asking about or we're not going to be putting that in the SOA necessarily as a sort of key benefit for why we're recommending a company. But behind the scenes, you know, in our insurance APL document, we've we've recently added in a, a column into the spreadsheet, which, you know, kind of powers the, the document, which talks about, you know, wh- what's our feelings on the company, where they're at, what they're doing, how we're working with them, how they're communicating and you know, profitability, sustainability, you know, their backing, that sort of stuff is now going in there because you know, we can't keep doing what we're doing and we've got to we've got to do our bit to make those changes and think about what we can. So that's definitely an important component of it. Fantastic. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on to this episode. We'll uh, we'll we'll chat to you in the next episode when we're talking about that mindset that you just spoke about. Cool. Thanks, Fraser. Thank you for joining us again, Natalie Cameron. Oh hi Fraser. Always um always a pleasure. Fantastic to have you here. Now, we're talking about sustainability, uh, all sorts of things around the products, the new products, the old products, uh, and the stability of those products. Um, let's kick off with your thoughts and ideas. Oh, look, it's it's probably not AFCA's place to comment um, uh, on on the um, uh, on the new products. But, uh, I mean, I certainly would say we have had uh, quite a decent number of, uh, of complaints in recent times around uh, the uh, – uh, the affordability uh, or unexpected premium increases on existing IP products, um, which is probably not surprising to anyone. Uh, and um, I would I would imagine uh, that two things, if two things converge, I would expect for there to be a lot less complaints. And I hope that's the case. Now, one of those things is um, that the product is uh, is more sustainable. That there is, um, you know, and it. It certainly looks like you know that the changes would would drive sustainability, um, and then very importantly that there is uh, really good communication between advisors and their clients about what the new products cover. Um, so so really just addressing that um, that past mismatch in expectations uh, between you know what the product or the price of the product is and, and what actually ends up happening. Yeah, this is, this is a really interesting piece of the, the jigsaw puzzle, I think, uh, that around complaints is that um, that expectation and outcome piece of the, the puzzle. Uh, you mentioned affordability, though. Let's let's dive into that. Um, you know, affordability is one of those things that I always say, you know, the time you, you most need the cover is the, is the time when uh, you can least afford it and the time, you know, when you can most afford the cover is when you don't need it when it comes to insurance or as much. Uh, how do we go with affordability from an advisor's point of view? Um, because, you know, and should we be really looking at long-term affordability and sustainability and a premium versus now sort of how do advisors do that or play that game of 
long-term versus short-term when it comes to sustainability or affordability? Yeah. Oh, look, it's, you know, it's the advisors out there, you know, hats off to them. It's a tough job. Um, And the reason why people seek their advice out is that they're so experienced uh, in this. Uh, And I think um, it is, you know, to not sound too cliched, it's, it's just, it's just the balance, isn't it? Um, I mean, I don't want to be too boring, but, you know, to, that you know, as 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 all advisors would know, you know the Corps Act requires them um, to act in the best interests of their um, of their clients, and that that includes uh, very very importantly, you know, finding out what their objectives, financial situations, and needs are, um, and um, making reasonable inquiries, uh, and then uh, making sure that they investigate. Uh, do, do make sort of reasonable investigation into available products, and then they need to make a reasonable recommendation that's based on the client's relevant circumstances. And, you know, I, I can imagine that advisors, um, uh, you know, uh, considering um, these new products might be concerned about the coverage. Uh, and I'm not saying that uh, they should always favour affordability over product terms. Um, what I'm saying is that they really need to consider the client's objectives, financial situation and needs. And ASIC themselves are very clear that that includes affordability um, and also, uh, you know, I guess echo these comments that uh, good com- communication is really the key uh, to making sure you get that balance right. Yeah, that's a really interesting um, part of it, isn't it? That's, <laughs> it keeps coming back down to that, doesn't it? That, that making sure that the clients understand and are on board and understand exactly what's going on. Um, are Speaking of understanding, I guess I've always wondered about this question, but um, is sometimes the complaints around uh, not understanding the information more around the idea of they they forgot the information because they sort of understood it at the time and then they just never really thought about it over the last couple of years and now now they've sort of didn't really remember that conversation? Or how, how does understanding go with just um, in some of the claims that you've, you've looked at maybe when the, you look at the files and say, oh, well, they – Looked like they understood at the time, but they just don't understand it now. Yeah. Oh, look. You know, I can't remember what happened last week. Sometimes so I can completely <laughs> understand, uh, and that's very difficult for advisors and um, and for uh, for for the consumer as well. Um, I think. Well, you know, when Africa gets one of these complaints, what we first are going to look at, apart from the submissions, you know, from the parties. Um, we're going to look at the documentation that's in place. So, uh, you know, the the statement of advice or, or record of advice um, uh, is required to be there. Um, that should set out uh, that you know that consideration of you know of how the the product that's recommended fits in and meets those um, those those needs that were were picked up in the fact find. So, so I guess most importantly, you know, the the records of of advice, but also uh, file notes of conversations uh, that refer to what the client wanted, what they favoured more, what was more important. Was it was it more important that they could still sort of pay for Netflix and you know go out to dinner, or or were they really focused on um, you know sort of uh, a, a high level of income protection? At the time, um, it, it's it's first of all, it's you know, it's the documented uh, evidence of those things. Um, I think you know, if somebody sort of understood it at the time and 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 sort of forgot it, 
um, that's not really on the advisor. Uh, having said that, it's really difficult for us to make an assessment of what really happened if it's not properly documented. Uh, so, um, you know, it's, it's again, it's probably obvious uh, advice, but uh, but making sure you've got great file notes and um, and that you don't just use the template SOA um, uh, and really consider what that person wants and needs and can afford is is really important. I mean. I mean, we often um, we often say, well, you know, if it was someone in your family, um, you know, who, who was looking for income protection, uh, would you be saying, mum, you can't afford this, go for this one, it's still got pretty good cover, but, you know, you're still going to be able to go on a holiday once a year? Um, or would you be saying, look, you know, given given your you know worries about you know potential medical things or your financial obligations um, you should go for the very best um, most extensive cover um, and that's just one little way of testing uh, whether it's really in the best interests yeah great little test um the just while we've while we're on this subject though uh, some advisors record their conversations or record the meetings uh, with the clients how do you guys treat that in the scenario rather than say a documented uh, or, or file notes Oh look, I I um <laughs> I mean a lot of large companies have uh, have standard recording, and so we certainly listen to recordings. I I just completed a matter where I listened to over seventy um, voice recordings, and um, uh, let me tell you that's a uh, that's a little, that takes a little bit longer than uh, than looking at a file note. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I would. That's good evidence. I mean, I would obviously be very clear with the uh, with the with the client. Um, that they're going to be recorded to get their consent to do that, yep. uh, but um, but that's great evidence as well. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, now, now back to sustainability. I uh, I know you've spent some time in the past in your past life uh, with group products, and I know yeah. that group uh, group wasn't included obviously in, in IDII. Um, but tell us about how you know you sort of see the sustainability of group products. Uh, look, you know, I think. Um, there were different market forces at play in the the group market, uh, at least when I was a part of it. Um, I'm probably uh, not the most qualified now to comment on on you know on what's required there, but you know I, I certainly know that the um, you know the the various funds, super funds, and employers were really active in uh, considering what was in the you know, in the best interests of their members, um, and uh, and that certainly uh, drove, I guess, more uh, more tailored coverage uh, for different funds and schemes. Of course, a huge amount has happened in the market since I was in it. And you know, a lot of um, uh, mergers and acquisitions, and uh, I'm probably I'm probably not the most qualified Fraser on that one. Fair enough. Now, uh, what do you think? Um, uh, you know, where there's I've, I've had some comments or heard some comments uh, around the idea of the the older products now that they're closed um, will become. You know, will probably continue to push up in price as, as people start to leave those products. Uh, do you have any thoughts or ideas on how that might play out? Well, I know there's been some concern that the, you know, that the the pool effectively. Um, uh, you know that there'll be some anti-selection, and the pool will effectively become uh, the less healthy lives. Uh, I think that's that's unfortunately uh, one of the you know one of the potential outcomes. Having said that, uh, even people with health conditions may not be able to afford the um, the you know the continuing premium increases that we've seen. Um, and so uh, you know it, it's a bit a bit of future 
uh, uh, crystal ball gazing, I think. Uh, but I think that's a that's certainly a risk. Yep. Natalie, thanks so much for coming on this episode. We look forward to catching you in the next one. No problem. Thanks, Fraser. Ben Martin, thank you for joining us again. Thank you, Fraser. We are talking about sustainability of both the old world and the new world products. And let's, so let's have a chat about sustainability and why that was such an important aspect, to, obviously, uh, with the new products. Yeah, look, it's, um, at the end of the day, what, in our discussions with advisors around the country, you know, what, one of the fundamental questions that we start off with is, you know, why are we having this discussion in the first place? And the answer will typically come back to the, uh, the ad hoc, the, sorry, the ad hoc out of cycle rate rises that, run, that ran rampant through our industry in, in, in the old world. And, and at the end of the day, our advisors and our clients, they're sick to death of these out of cycle ad hoc rate rises. And so the feedback we've been getting from a lot of advisors around the country is we fundamentally need to uh, look at building products in a way that is, let's call it sustainable, so that clients um, and indeed uh, advisors are liberated from those pricing pressures that have prevailed and wreaked havoc across the retail uh, life insurance industry as of late. So uh, that's the feedback we've been hearing. And, and, and so when we, look at, when we look across the market and the current offers, off the back of these next generation income protection products that have been released by all of the insurers around the country, we can see that different insurers have adopted and have indeed taken different risk appetites as they've approached the release um, of these or as they've, as they've designed their new product constructs in line with these APRA uh, measures. Yeah, now you mentioned uh, wreaked havoc uh, on, on, but it also wreaked havoc on the relationships between, you know, uh, Advisors and clients, uh, advisors and insurers, and, and and clients and insurers, didn't it? Sort of that that whole trusted relationship that was there is almost is always, uh, you know, bill shocks a, a great one to to put strain on those relationships. Yeah, and look, I mean, everyone, it's that element of surprise that we just want to that we just want to get rid of, particularly when it comes to an insurance policy. I mean, we know the private health premiums are being increased year on year. And when you've got an IP policy statement coming through advising of an ad hoc rate rise, that just compounds any cash flow pressures that might obviously be prevailing within that particular family budget. So when it comes to the, the old products, it's, it's fair to say that a lot of them were fairly similar because they were all competing um, you know, in that space, as you mentioned, that arms race. With the new products, they're all very different. Do you think that that's, there's a possibility that uh, those newer products will sort of come together in a way in the you know for under that sustainability banner. Well, that's the look. That's a million dollar question, uh, Fraser. I I don't know if I could be honest with you because what we're what we're seeing across the spectrum or across the if we if we if we if we take if we pause for one moment and scan the current market and have a look at the current offers available to new business. For our clients, we can see that there's lots of variation, Fraser, amongst the product designs, uh, the product designs across all insurers. So uh, at one end, at the extreme end, we've got products that have been built that, let's say, aren't within the spirit of the APRA measures and indeed the Actuaries Institute reference product and recommendations that have been prescribed by the Actuaries Institute. That's at the extreme end. At the other end, or perhaps at the midpoint, 
We've got a whole bunch of products that have been designed in line with the APRA measures and the Actuaries Institute that have fundamentally been constructed with one aim, right? And that aim, of course, is to address the root cause of why we're having this discussion in the first place and to build products that manage long-term claims and have effective controls in place to, 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 to manage and keep these products fundamentally sustainable moving forward. And so, Fraser, one of the things that we, we're, we're really keen to, uh, I guess, to unpack uh, and, and to see is whether we end up seeing some type of sustainability scoring system uh, that will be released uh, to the market that will provide meaningful, meaningful content and intel for our advisors when they're looking at recommending a particular next generation income protection product. Because as I was alluding to earlier, it can be difficult to, uh, to, to, to apply that tangible piece to that whole sustainability narrative. Um, and, and that's why something like a sustainability scoring system, I think, is going to be a very helpful tool to advisors and licensees to the extent that they're scanning the market, assessing which income protection product to recommend to their client, uh, especially if their underlying philosophy requires and warrants a product that is fundamentally in the best interest of the clients and built in a sustainable manner moving forward. Yeah, there's a lot of talk in sustainability around investing and, uh, you know, and long-term. Uh, it's probably something that probably should also be discussed when it comes to, you know, long-term, long-term uh, in- insurance products. If I could uh, add there, Fraser, I think the big one too with sustainability is that what we're talking about here, if we put this into practice, right, is if I'm recommending a next-generation IP contract that is, let's say, at a higher risk of being susceptible to ongoing pricing volatility once the contract goes in force, and perhaps that's because the controls that have been built into that contract aren't as robust to manage long-term claims, then to what extent... Is that actually in my client's best interest for them to subscribe to one of those products? Because when you think about it, whenever, and and, and advisors would know well and true, advisors would be well and truly across this, but in the past, if there have been pricing pressures prevailing within a particular life insurance contract, there may have been a tendency to review that existing product and look to replace it with a suitable product in light of the client's needs and objectives uh, that may have ultimately aligned with their needs and circumstances and objectives, but at the same time providing some some pricing, some alleviated the client of any pricing pressures that may have prevailed in that existing contract. In the new world, if, if my client is in one of these contracts that is perhaps more susceptible to pricing pressures moving forward, then the million-dollar question is, if I have to replace that contract two, three, four, five years down the track, to what extent am I going to run into difficulties replacing that product at that point in time, especially if that client's medical condition has subsequently worsened three or four years down the track? And if the medical condition of the client has subsequently worsened, how is that going to complicate the replacement product process. That might be via extra underwriting, uh, medical exclusions, loadings, and I might not, I might not even conv- I might not be able to jump the underwriting uh, hurdles in the first place given their underlying medical conditions. So that's the risk we run. Fraser, I guess is what I'm trying to say here is that if I am popping a client into one of those more extreme income protection policies that perhaps isn't hasn't been designed within the fundamental spirit 
of these measures, to what extent is that not in my client's best interest if I can foresee future health challenges that might be on the horizon for that particular client? Yep. Now, you mentioned the sustainable uh, scoring system, and obviously some of the scoring system we've used in the past, apart from understanding and knowing your product, has been uh, software that rates um, product features and benefits also against the price um, or the premium, I should say. Uh, but uh, how can we get that sustainability type scoring into those products? And I guess that's probably way down the track, but or to just for now understand it from an, from an advice point of view to be able to have that sustainability overlay. Yeah, so I, I think the thinking um, the thinking behind the scoring system is to have a look at so so an independent or a third party will run the assessment. They'll look at a particular they'll look at the particular terms and conditions within a product construct, and they'll look at the various controls that have been built into that contract. Now, based on a balanced assessment of each and every control, a determination will be made as to what extent do those controls manage that long-term claims experience and therefore to what extent um, is it classified as being sustainable or not. Yeah, so I guess uh, I guess like anything, it's probably going to wash out uh, over the next few years and we're not really going to be able to say right now. Hopefully, hopefully it happens sooner rather than uh, later, Fraser, but... On a first principles basis, what we would encourage the advisors to do is to have a look at the policy and the contract in its entirety, lift up the hood, whether that's by way of trolling through the various Irish reports that assesses uh, and shines and applies scrutiny to the underlying features of the contract and make a balanced assessment in conjunction with your licensing compliance officers as to whether or not that product has been built. Yep. in line and within the spirit of these APRA measures because as a starting point, that's going to give you a good sense of, you know, to the extent to which that product is sustainable moving forward. Wonderful. Ben, thanks so much for coming on this particular episode. We look forward to unpacking what you just said there a little bit more in the next episode where we get where we dive into the concept around critical thinking and mindset of the advisor. Mm-hmm.